Hello, world. And um, this is Angular Air. Uh, thank you very much for listening or watching. We are the Angular Broadcast Podcast. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about React um, and Angular 2. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting subject. Before we uh, get started into our subject, though, let me just go ahead and introduce our guests. Um, and when I say your name, please uh, wave and say hi so people know who is who. Uh, so our first guest is Taro Parvevian. And of course, I butchered his last name again. Um, I didn't even say it the way I practiced it. <laughs> um, and then our second guest is Minko Gitchev. Um, and they both have some experience with React and Angular 2, and so their perspective is invaluable for this episode. We're excited uh, to chat with them. We have our panelists also, Amy Knight. Hello. And Jeff Welpley. Hello. And Patrick J.S. Hey, guys. And uh, my name is Ken C. Dodds. I'm your host. And before we get started, I'm going to go through a couple of quick announcements. Uh, remember, if you're watching live, you can ask questions on Twitter using the hashtag NGAirQuestion, and we will answer those at the end of the show. So if you have any questions while we, uh, our show progresses, then um, ask there. Um, and then some general announcements. We will have a show next week, but it's not scheduled, so just uh, tune in same time, same place next week, and it will be amazing, I assure you. Um, and then follow us on Twitter and Google+, Plus as always, at Angular Air. I feel like I'm a stewardess on an airplane. Um, at this point with these announcements. They're always the same. Um, yeah, okay, so let's get into our main content. Uh, I think it'd be good just to get an introduction to each of our guests and uh, the, your experience with Angular 1, Angular 2, and React. So we'll go, uh, we'll start out with Taro, if you can give us an intro, and then we'll, we'll go to Minko. Sure, so yeah, hi, I'm Taro, uh, software engineer, independent contractor, and occasional book and article writer from Helsinki. I've been uh, working with Angular for about maybe three years now, and two of those in the app with the same app, actually, which I'm still working on. And then I've been playing with React, both React itself and its various closure script and other bindings for, for the past year or so. You say the words closure script, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's a boss. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah. The only next level of boss is Elm. If you'd said you did both Closure Script and Elm, then I'd just be like, oh, yeah, hands yeah. down. I've <laughs> actually compiled one Elm program, so. Cool. I, I do have that as well, in my CV. Sweet. <laughs> cool. Uh, Minko. Hi. Hi. So I'm an independent contractor as well. And uh, actually, for the last two or three years, I work with the same company, so maybe it's not the correct term. I've used uh, Angular 1 in the past. Uh, last year and a half, I'm using React with ECMAScript 2015 and TypeScript. And uh, last month or two, I'm contributing. I'm trying to find time to contribute to Angular 2. Cool, and we thank you for your contributions. Uh -huh. um, okay, so before we actually get started into this show, I want to put out a, a quick disclaimer. There are a lot of, like, Angular versus React. Angular is so much better, React is so much better, whatever. That's not what this show is about. What this show is about is, is we have two developers on 
who, and, and a couple of us actually, have experience with both Angular and React, and Angular 2 in particular. Um, but uh, uh, these developers still want to use Angular 2 when it comes out. Um, and so this is more about like um, your experience uh, with using Angular 2 and using React, um, how they compare from like your use cases. Um, and this is in no way, shape, or form um, like a complete um, overview of what React is, what Angular is, um, and like why is one definitively better than the other. Um, if you want a spoiler alert, I think uh, the answer, most of us will agree that they're both awesome and they both solve a huge amount of use cases. And if you choose one or the other, you will be just fine. Um, so yeah, I just want to put that disclaimer out there. This is not a bashing show. Okay, so yeah, actually, Olivier, he couldn't make it, but he has a good uh, question to start us out with. Um, and I think, yeah, let's, let's just go with this. So what, between Angular 2 and React and Angular 1, what do you use at the moment for your projects? Like, if you were going to start a new project today, what would you want to use? And then what do you use for the projects you're working on now? Well, me, the, the application I'm working on day in, day out uh, is, is an Angular 1 application. And what we are focusing on with that at the moment is basically aligning it to the architectural style of Angular 2, and, and that's pretty much where we are with that. And then I use various things for my side projects and experiments. Basically, any bandwagon that comes my way, I'll jump it, uh, including things like React and Redux and, and, and things like that lately. Cool. And, and you, Minko? Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm using React. Last uh, year or two, I'm using React. In my spare time, I'm doing some uh, pet projects in Angular 2. Cool. Uh, so um, do you, uh, let's just make sure that our assumptions are correct here. Uh, do you both plan to use Angular 2 when it comes out? Uh, is that kind of your expectation right now? It is, yeah. Yeah, me too. I've actually tried to adopt the dependency injection of Angular 2 in my React projects. How's that gone? Well, initially I started with DIJS. Uh, after that, they deprecated it and they integrated uh, the dependency injection into the core. So it, it got kind of tricky. Yeah, I, um, if anybody's interested in, in that concept, I know that uh, Merrick Christensen, who is uh, just an awesome developer, he works at Domo, and he's one of the organizers of ng-comp. Um, but he has, uh, he gave a talk recently at, uh, I think it was Mountain West JS or, or yeah, some conference that we have here in Utah um, about his Frankenstein app, which is like pieces of all these different frameworks that he likes. And he kind of pieces them all together. So he has he used uh, DIJS and had a, um, some React in there, and yeah, a lot of really interesting things. I never watched it personally, but I know Merrick, and he's awesome. Um, so if you're interested in in that, maybe uh, you can check that out. Um, so as a, a good uh, kickoff, let's uh, let's talk about Angular 2 and how it uh, compares with uh, Angular or with uh, React. How how are the are they similar and how are they different? Well, to my mind, they seem to be more similar than they are different, at least. Like that, that's what it looks like to me. I haven't used Angular 2 much yet. I've just been reading up on it, and 
and trying to track where it's going and, and what the main ideas are. But but I think in both of these frameworks, and I think it originates in React really, is the, uh, the core concept of components and the component tree and the data flow in that tree, which is data down and actions up. And that's kind of the central idea, I think, of both of these things. Uh, and of course, Angular is more like a kitchen sink framework in the sense that it has a lot more than, than React does, where with React you use various other libraries to, to augment it when you actually want to do something something uh, some, something bigger than a, than a plain little UI. And Angular basically has much more built into it. And that, that's how I would see the main difference between those two. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The main difference uh, I see is the way and they detect uh, basically state changes, the different algorithms. Mm. Well, yeah, it definitely the different algorithms. So I'm, I'm curious, um, as far as that goes, the React uses uh, virtual DOM diffing, so uh, it will detect to detect changes and see what needs to be pushed to be displayed. Well, Angular at a low level stores a lot more uh, caches, a lot more in memory, like it, it, for optimization reasons. And so there's advantages and disadvantages to each of those approaches. So I'm curious what you guys think, um, you know, just from that one aspect, because that is uh, one difference between Angular 2 and React. Uh, and there are kind of, you, depending on how you look at it, some advantages and disadvantages. So w what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I'd also, also like to know more about this, which is that, because I heard something about Angular 2 having something like a virtual DOM-like system in it, I think that's something Igor tweeted like a year ago or something. But I don't know. I don't know whether that's actually how it turned out. So maybe maybe someone on the call knows. Well, it doesn't do uh, diffing, right? It does uh, change detection um, to make to see what has been updated, and then um, so I mean that, that's just like a. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be that big of a substantial dis difference from a high level, but um, but then again. Angular 2 hasn't been out, you know, really in the wild, so you don't know kind of uh, how that will impact, their approach will ultimately impact things as opposed to the React approach. Yeah, the way I see them, yeah sure. Uh, the way I see them is maybe on the first side, the React change detection, different algorithm looks kind of a little bit more flexible because what you do is that you have this component shoot, you have this metatude component update, and you can compare the some data and based on the whether the current state of the component is uh, should be updated, you can um, find that at exactly this uh, shoot component update method by comparing some values. And on the other side, if you have this, um, if the component shoot update and uh, the shoot component update maps returns true, you have one more level, which is the React's virtual DOM patching algorithm, which finds the difference between the component trees. And uh, it can, with that, I think the, the algorithm's complexity there was well, like uh, linear. They have some heuristics, so they have optimized it. And uh, yeah, you have these two levels. Compares to Angular 2, where you compare only the data which is hold by the component using uh, specific differ. 
And based on this, you find out whether you need to update your component or not, whether it needs to be re-rendered. Yeah, so, so basically React, you have this component, and it creates a, a tree of other, like, elements as well. So React stiffing... So when you say, like, virtual DOM, it's a little bit weird because um, it, virtual DOM associates with React, which associates with everything React does, and because of that, like, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't say virtual DOM and when you're talking about like Angular 2, but technically you could. Um, with React, you're you're diffing elements exact, uh, as well, not as opposed to Angular 2, where you're also you're only diffing the the bindings. Mm -hmm. So that's that's like one difference between the the two um, in terms of diffing algorithms. I guess the interesting thing with that is that that's like a low level implementation detail, right? Like developers don't necessarily care about that per se. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing where they're similar, like you guys started to say, is that there are a lot of similarities, right, between Angular and React, and that might be some implementation detail of how they, you know, figure out what's been modified, but sort of some of the concepts around data flow, I think, are similar. So, like, Minko, maybe can you give us, like, a little bit of uh, some background, because I know you've done a lot with this uh, for, for data flow and that type of thing, of, like, you know, some of the similarities are, like, some key concepts that, like, both frameworks um, have kind of keyed in on. Yeah, about the similarities, uh, both uh, uh, library and framework. I, I think the React community prefers to call React uh, a library. So both of them, um, uh, they are actually, I would say that they are enforcing this in a directional data flow. Usually the components, they receive their data from the parent components, or eventually if you are not uh, fan of this unidirectional data flow, everything coming from the top, you can use some, you can listen for changes and build something like MVC, but I'm talking about the case when you use Flux-like architecture. So in this case, in both uh, frameworks, in, in, uh, you receive, your components received, receive data as properties, and the data goes from the top of the component tree through the bottom. But then with that approach, you uh, you wind up drilling holes all the way down to the, your, the leaves of your components, right? And so there is kind of this concept of a, a data store um, where your components can reach up and, and get the data from they want from that store. Is that, I guess that's a different uh, kind of approach, and that makes those components less pure themselves, but maybe makes it a little easier to develop um, so you don't have to drill holes all the way down to the leaves of your components. Is that accurate? Yeah, well, at least in Redux, they, they have these, these names of smart and dumb components that they use, which are smart components are things that are connected to stores and know how to pull things out of them and send actions back to them. And then there are these dumb components or pure components that do neither. They basically get all their data in as props and and send their actions out as, as callbacks, which are also props. So, so, so they have these distinctions, and, and I think the general idea is to try to minimize the, the amount of smart components because of the, the way it makes things a little bit more difficult to, to figure out and test. But, but you, you usually need more than one per app of those, especially if it's a large app, since, since otherwise you, you end up having to wire, wire them all, wire the data through all of the components. That makes sense. Yeah, so um, the thing about like smart and dumb components, it, 
um, is that like a smart component manages the the model and sends it down to its um, its children. So you could also think of that as the controller um, in Angular One, and um, you could think of all the the other the dumb components as just regular directives like the form directive and everything. The difference is how we isolate the the logic and move around and everything. But you could think of it as just kind of reworking and re managing like where the, the logic should live. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been starting to do in, in my Angular 1 in, in the big app right now, which is to actually have this, this distinction between these two types of components. And the way, way it has turned out for me is that smart components are things that pull things out from, from injected services, essentially. And when, when things happen, they make method calls to those services to, to do, do the server updates or whatever. And then you have quite a few of those, and they are then composed of a collection of, of dumb components, which basically get all their data in from, from the parent as, as, as directive attributes or, or bindings. And also, when, when something happens inside those components, that action is, is, is basically uh, propagated up through a uh, expression binding so that they don't actually uh, side effect uh, themselves, but that just pass the action up to, to the parent. So in that scenario then, um, just because I, I think this seems like a reasonable thing to do in Angular 1, as you said, um, like let's say that you have a, a list, like so the, the dumb component would never actually um, s send an update to the server. Like if, if you're editing a post or something, it would just say, you hit the save button and you instead of updating the server directly, you'd say on save clicked. And you invoke that with the post contents. Okay, yeah, that's that's reasonable. And that that same sort of story applies to both uh, React and Angular two in a component based architecture. Um, yeah. Okay, I gotta refactor some stuff. <laughs> Me too. Um, a lot of stuff. Makes a lot more sense. So what I'm getting uh, based off of what has been said so far is that like there are a few implementation differences between Angular uh, two and React. And some of them may have performance implications, but um, those implementation details don't really have a huge, um, uh, or make a huge difference on the developer experience. Um, maybe, maybe I'm missing something there, but it sounds to me like the main difference um, that would change your uh, opinion of, of what you would want to use is uh, the fact that Angular 2 is more of a kitchen sink, everything that you need for an app, uh, whereas React is a, a piece of what you need for an app, and you have to find all the other pieces to build an app. Is that accurate, or is there something else that I'm missing? Well, I would also add the kind of emphasis on, on the language used. I think Angular 2 is, it looks to me like it's going to be like heavily investing in TypeScript, not just the core team, but the community as well. I don't know whether that will be actually what happens, but, but it seems to me that that's, that's the case. Whereas in React, I don't see that as much. Can you can you speak for Flow? Because in the React community, there's this notion of a Flow language, which is kind of like a type system. But um, there's like some differences between that and, and TypeScript. Well, all I can say is everyone seems to be really excited about it. I haven't tried it myself. Okay. You tried ClojureScript, but you haven't even tried Flow. No, just kidding. <laughs> I, I can't. 
I am the worst person to judge anybody else on on uh, what they do uh, with their free time to learn stuff. <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I I could talk a little bit about it, but like, uh, what are the differences between Flow and TypeScript? Is that in TypeScript you have a separate file to define your types, so you could technically define types for a library that doesn't that is not written in that in TypeScript, and that's like one of the huge benefits of TypeScript versus Flow. Or Flow, you actually need to write it in Flow. Um, but yeah. Okay, so um, um, Amy, I think you've got a, a pretty good question right here. Why don't you fire off with that one? I, I think these other two that we've got are not. Yeah. We kind of already talked about this as we were talking about like following component architecture, but I don't know. I'd kind of like to talk about that a little bit more because a lot of us have, um, you know, like these big controllers. So, do you think following that pattern will push us more towards like? The React goodness, and this is this is talking about like Angular one. So, mm -hmm. do you think this is you know I know Tara, you've actually written some posts about this. So, is this like something you've experimented with, or something that you've actually used in like a production large application, and you think like we should move towards this? Yeah, I think very much that this is something we should move towards. That's that's what we are doing at the moment, and. Uh, yeah, it, it comes from. It's really informed by by React, but but what, the reason we are really doing it is there are basically two reasons. One is to get us ready for Angular two, and and one is to actually just make sense of the application that we have at the moment in Angular one, because it was most of the code was laid out basically a couple of years ago when components weren't really a thing in the community yet. So we were doing these big controllers, lots of ng controller, lots of ng include. And, and it's it's basically a kind of a mess, and then what what we're doing at the moment is is refactoring that code little by little into directives, and the first step in that is actually that you actually uncover the data flow in your application, the existing data flow, which is kind of hidden or implicit in in, in these kind of old school applications where things just access data from inherited scopes and you really can't see from any anywhere where where those accesses happen who's doing them who's mutating data and who's accessing data and and the first step towards components is to actually make that visible and, and once you've done that then you can start improving the data flow towards something that will work more more closely with how, how things will go in angular 2 or even react so if people want to like refactor in this way, do you think they're better off like starting from this huge controller and breaking that down um, like in medium steps or mm -hmm. pick like a tiny portion and pull that out and just pick like these tiny pieces? The way we're doing it is in, in little tiny steps and uh, yeah, I'm basically talking about this next week at, in Berlin at an Angular meetup and I'll probably write about it later, which is basically I'm trying to build a library of small refactorings for, for going from this big controller soup into a component application in tiny steps because it can be done and, and uh, there are intermediate steps you can do you don't have to kind of do, do it all at the same time and, and, and it's been kind of interesting to see your application in a new light once you do that, actually, when, when you actually see the mess you've made. 
it's definitely something like um, kind of for the app I'm on. You know, we don't always have. We, you know, at a large company, you don't always have the luxury of like playing around with Angular two right away. That's something you got to do on your own. Um, so, like for people who have large applications and they have to like ship products and don't get to play around too much, yeah. it seems like something good you could do with your Angular one stuff already. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we basically spend one day every two weeks currently doing this this work, and and yeah, the rest of the time we are just building new features and then doing the normal day-to-day -day work. So we're we're taking it slow, but it's it's proceeding quite nicely. So um, it sounds like uh, refactoring an Angular one app to this type of architecture would help you whether you wanted to migrate to Angular two or React. Is that that sound about right? Probably yeah. Uh, we're not. We don't have any plans to to go to React with this application. But what? Yeah, you end up with something that's much closer to to how a React app looks like when you have these specific components and 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 end up essentially with a tree of components as you do in React. Cool. So I think something. Of, this is a, a valuable point for our listeners. Anybody who's not certain about Angular 2, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be what I want it to be, or whatever. Um, it's going to be amazing, um, for sure. But if you're still not certain and you're worried about that, um, I think refactoring to more of a component-based architecture um, will just be a good idea for you to do in general. And by the time you're done with that, maybe Angular 2 will be out, maybe it won't. Either way, you'll be in a, a situation where it's a lot easier for you to migrate if if that's what you want to do. And even if you don't, I think it would make your application a lot easier um, even leaving it in Angular 1 is what it kind of sounds like to me. They tease me at work that I'm on a component crusade. I think that's an okay thing to, <laughs> to be on. Yeah. Cool. So I actually wanted to ask one other thing, Taro, about your um, migration so or, or what, what you're doing. So mm -hmm. if... If I understand it correctly, the the best approach is to start small, like at the at the leaf component that you want to build, and yeah. make as many dumb components as you can. Work your way up until you get to like the smart component level, and then you you know move on to the next area. Is that kind of what you're doing? Well, kind of the the part, especially where you start from the leaves, because that's where you kind of have to start start with this, but. What we are doing is we're not actually thinking about smart versus dumb at this point when we're, we're just componentizing. We're essentially just making all the existing data bindings, whether they are two-way bindings or, or method calls or, or, or whatever, we're making them explicit in each component's uh, scope definition or controller, uh, bind to controller attribute. So, so the first step is to end up with these components, but the data flow is, is exactly pretty much what it was before you went to components. Uh, and uh, I think that's a crucial intermediate step because at that point you see what your actual data flow is in your application. Because it's okay. too easy to break it when you kind of do several things at the same time. So, so we preserve the functionality by, going and, uh, by at the same time going into components. And then we start to look at the data flow. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a fantastic pro tip. Um, if, like, I, I gave a training on ES6, migrating to ES6, uh, a couple, uh, like a month or two ago at a conference. And um, what we did in our migration was like, you start with the smallest possible thing that you could do. Like, don't change anything else. Just 
even if even if your change is five lines of code, leave that, make that like get that into the code base. Because if you work on for two weeks on this big migration and then product comes to you and says, Hey, we need to drop everything because we're going on to this like need to build this feature or whatever, then what you wind up with is a pull request that'll never get merged because it's it's yeah. old and, and it's huge. So yeah, that's cool. Good pro tip. So I had another question. Um, some people have talked about using Flux and Angular 1. What are your thoughts on that? I have never tried that. Anybody else? Yeah, I haven't really tried that either. I, I know that on Angular Connect, there's going to be a talk on similar topic. I think uh, it's how to design large AngularJS applications that scale. and. Uh, I built uh, some uh, directive for easier binding to immutable data structures uh, to Angular 1, in Angular 1, and there were some guys who uh, helped me, so they um, did some pull requests, and they were working on similar stuff, but they were uh, using uh, these immutable data structures with Flux. So I, yeah, it's kind of popular, but I've never tried it either. Well, Miko, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems from like our previous conversation and from what I've seen is like anything is possible. I mean, it's all JavaScript, right? So you can do whatever you want. But given the way that Angular 1 is set up, it's much harder to implement some of those patterns just because so much of it is, is by default dependent on kind of the change detection and having mutable data and everything like that. So you can kind of jam in there some of these more immutable patterns and stuff coming from the React world, and people have done it. I've seen it out there, um, but I don't know. You, I've, I've never seen one that like made me think like, oh, that seems like a good idea. Whereas in Angular 2, you do see the starting of some of those implementations where they actually are, you know, pretty good match for the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I agree. You need to follow very strict conventions for how to add event listener, how to add watchers how to pass data to your directives, it's, yeah, it's not trivial. So would you say that you wouldn't recommend to Angular 1 apps uh, for them to try and implement Flex, like it's just a little too much more work than it's worth? Uh, yeah, I, I see it like that, yeah. There, There's a, a Flex implementation uh, in Angular 1 called Flux-Angular. That has all the the boilerplate to set up um, Flux Angular. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm talking about. That like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I've seen those types of implementations. I guess I've never been tempted to use that. Like, there, there's a lot of uh, you know the, the type of overhead that you have to um, ha add in order to get. You don't necessarily get the same benefit, right? Um, it's kind of like I always feel like jamming, uh, trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Well, it's it's an architectural uh, thing, right? So it depends on on like what makes sense for the the project. Um, uh, so have you have you guys played around with uh, Redux at all, or heard of Redux, or decided to implement those patterns in uh, Angular one or two? Uh, I want to add only one more thing about uh, about Flux. Uh, Victor Safkin had a blog post about uh, Flux with React, uh, Flux with Angular One. Victor Safkin from the core team, so it might be interesting. I'll post a link. Uh, 
Yeah, on, on Redux, I think many of the same points apply. It's it's because it's it's basically an an evolution of, of Flux. Really, it's it's a lot simpler than than Flux, I think. But but um, um, you can definitely use it with both Angular one and two. And I think someone has actually made even a, in bindings for both already. Um, but um, yes, especially in Angular one, there's going to be a little bit of impedance mismatch between those two, because Flux uh, Redux essentially is all about putting all your state in your application into one immutable data structure, and then sharing that pieces of that across your component tree, and and the the points made earlier about the the use of immutable data structures in in Angular one and, and the and the trouble you may have with that applies to, to that. But but Redux really is it's it's really tiny and it, it, it can can be made work made work with both quite easily, I think, both Angular one and two. Yeah, so it seems like these two implementations they're they're just architectural decisions. Um, right. And if if that's the case, then what is what are the goals of React and Angular 2? Like, what are they like trying to solve? What's their their focus, uh, in your guys' opinion? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I'll start off. So, like, it seems to me like React is it seems to be focused on just being the view, right? Like, it's been advertised as just a view, and because of that. Um, its focus is just managing like one particular element, and that's it. And you could the idea is that you could compose like many re, uh, React components together. Uh, that's the same with with Angular two. You could do the same thing, but with Angular two, you also get a lot more stuff. Like you get a DI system that you can plug in, and it has a more of an opinion of how you could do things, but it allows you to actually do more things as opposed to um, Angular one, where it kind of you're kind of limited by the architectural decisions made like six years ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess it comes back to the kind of kitchen sink point that Angular 2 just has. Bundles a lot more of these things, whereas with React, it's the assumption that whenever you do something more than just a simple couple of elements in, in a UI, you are going to combine React with a number of other libraries like Redux or, or some Flux implementation. Yeah, so it seems like with with React you have React and then that's pretty much it. In Angular uh, Angular two you have Angular two you have the router you have a, a state management some uh, like their version of store and you have all these different components um, that are given to you by default and you can choose to use them or not and they're maintained by the Angular team. Uh, in React it seems like they only maintain the the one core and then everything else is left to the community to, to figure out. So um, I've got a question. Um, so the developer experience uh, DX is starting to get a, a big name. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of developer experience. I think it's important. APIs are important. Um, and so I'm curious about the developer experience with Angular 2 versus React uh, because I know with with React, I, I, if if anybody hasn't watching or listening hasn't watched uh, Dan Ibramoff's talk from React Europe about time traveling. Oh man, like. That made me want to quit Angular and just go all React. It is an amazing talk, um, and that kind of developer experience just is not possible with Angular One. 
But I'm curious if, um, if you're familiar with that. Um, basically, like you have this uh, concept of hot module replacement, uh, which allows for hot reloading. So hot reloading is different from live reload, which uh, and actually, JavaScript Jabber had Dan on the show just like last week, so check that out. But um, yeah, so hot reloading is different from live reload. Live reload just refreshes your browser. You lose all the state. You load all the JavaScript anew, um, and that's that's really common. Um, one thing that I actually don't like personally. But for uh, hot reloading or hot module replacement, basically it. Um, um, when you save your file, it replaces the code that's actually running the, in the browser with the code that you just saved without actually refreshing the browser at all. Um, and so it makes for very, very fast iteration times. Um, and so then there's also the, the time travel piece with, with Redux um, and being able to uh, step forward and backward with the Redux dev tools and that kind of thing. So what's, uh, what's been your experience with Angular to uh, the developer experience? Is it too mature to tell, uh, or can you see the capabilities of uh, these kinds of things uh, with Angular 2? Well, as far as I remember for, from his talk, he, uh, he is creating some proxies of the actual components he rendered. And when uh, any of the components' uh, files changes, he just replaces this component, just like you said. But the, view, the model, the store is isolated from the, com from the component tree. So uh, if you have good separation of concerns in your Angular 2 application, I think that it's, this is completely possible. Yeah, I think the architectural key there is, is to exactly to keep the, your state separate from your component trees. In, 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 with, with Redux, you have this single state atom where your state tree lives, and that can survive your code reloads as you're developing. And then the time travel part comes from the immutability, which is that when you go to the next state of your application, the previous state is not destroyed because you, you get uh, a new tree of state. And the previous one, you can preserve it in your developer tools, basically, and go back to it. And that, yeah, easily done, probably, in Angular 2. Yeah, so it's, it's worth noting that, like, um, like this time travel feature is totally doable in Angular One and Angular Two. It's just that no one's, you know, done it. Um, and the the feature of hot module re uh, reloading, um, that's that's something that hasn't been done in, in Angular One or Two because, um, again, no one has built it. Um, but the this whole movement of developer experience is, is great, and um, I would I would say it's a little bit, it's really early, <laughs> for, to talk about it the, the Angular Two side because it's literally like. Um, uh, all those like developer experience stuff has been pushed back towards like the end of the development cycle for Angular 2. Um, like they're totally planned. It's just that um, they're focusing on make sure everything else uh, connects correctly. You gotta have a framework before you can develop it with a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're they're constantly iterating, um, and it's it's honestly like it's alpha itself. <laughs> so. Um, on that vein, with the developer experience, um, maybe this is less developer experience and more like feature. Um, but I wanted to ask about server rendering, um, and if that, um, I think Jeff and uh, and Patrick, you have a, a pretty good story on the server rendering piece of this. Well, I think the question is is more about. Um, you know, we, obviously, in React, they have that feature, and they've had it for some time. 
I, I'd be curious to know whether each of you, you guys have actually used that in React, first of all. I have actually not, no. I've never done a universal style application in any framework yet. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done this as well. I haven't had the needs to do so. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, not necessarily something we have to talk about at length, but uh, I think from what Patrick and I've seen for our work in, on the Angular 2 side is that, uh, you know, definitely something that is very easy to use in React. Uh, I think that they're still, you know, working out some of the uh, performance issues, like it's getting better all the time and that type of thing. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of moving forward. I, I think a lot of people do like the fact that it's there when they do need it. For I know a lot of people that in the React community that do use it, that do have like consumer-facing React apps, and it's, it is extremely useful. Um, so it is, in my opinion, it's great that all frameworks kind of uh, start to go down this road of being capable of, of being universal, uh, even if, you know, like obviously you guys are working on stuff, probably internal apps that don't necessarily need it per se, but uh, the more that we can do this, the easier all of our lives would be because both um, both sides, I, I can see, kind of help each other with the kind of advancements they make. Yeah, so to, more, to touch more on that, it's like, where we're seeing people using server rendering, it's more of like enterprise, like Yahoo, like Twitter. Um, they, they went from a client, um, from server side only to client side only to back to this hybrid model of both. Um, so it's it's great to see that like Angular 2 now has server rendering, so now that story is like uh, there. And uh, Jeff and I will talk more about this during uh, Angular Connect, and uh, maybe we'll even demonstrate like how fast it is compared to uh, others. So I'm curious, like we talked about some like a couple small features here, but you know, from your opinion, uh, Taro and Minko, are there use cases where you think that? one framework is preferable or the other. And, and it might be, I guess, either use case in terms of the type of thing you're trying to build uh, mm. or the environment, like like who your team is and like that type of thing. Like, do you guys have any opinions on, it, in those two, two uh, factors, like what would lead you to pick, you know, use one over the other? Well, one factor is really that there's probably a people in every team that have a very strong opinion about this and they they, they usually <laughs> uh, have, have a big influence on the whole team's decision. I, I don't tend to have, have one so I just tend to go along with, with what the majority th feels like doing because honestly I think you can kind of succeed or fail with both of these. It's more, more about what you do with them than, than what, they, what they actually provide at some point. So. So, so I would be happy happy using either in, in most cases. I can't think of the type a type of application where one would uh, be that much better than the other. It's like choosing between a battle axe and a sword, a long sword or something. Like, <laughs> both are pretty effective. <laughs> you just use them differently. Yeah, I think I guess one one thing is that with with ClojureScript or one of these other kind of compiled to JS languages, some of them are more. There's just more existing tooling to, to using, say, ClojureScript with React than, than Angular. I don't think there's, there's anything with ClojureScript, say, an Angular 2 yet at all. At least I haven't seen anything. Whereas React is really strong in that community. Uh, 
for, uh, in my opinion, so uh, the main difference, uh, as we said, between the, these two framework is that Angular uh, that Angular comes with more uh, more things uh, in the core, so it has its dependency injection and uh, well, the router. So you don't, if you are building something from scratch and you don't, uh, you want to have all these uh, all this stuff and you you want to know that everything works together and it is uh, well tested. Maybe you can, you should choose Angular too because otherwise you need to wire up different components and most of them are built from the community and uh, there are different releases. There are some breaking changes, so it might get a little bit more risky. If you use Angular, if you use React, That's, that makes sense. So we are running pretty close to our time, and we do have a, a question or two on the on Twitter with the hashtag NGR question. So if you're watching live, uh, ask on Twitter NGR question if you have any questions. Um, but uh, we do have a couple more questions from the panelists, um, and then we can run into those, and we'll also let you. Um, if, if the guests have anything you'd like to bring up before we close out, we'll let you get, have that chance as well. So, take it away, panelists. Patrick, I think you had a question. Yeah, Patrick is uh, currently editing the Google Doc instead oh, of questions. <laughs> right. so, like, oh. I can hey, go while, he, while he's editing. Like, he's uh, sort of tacking on just a uh, final thing for uh, talking about kind of differences and that type of thing. The one, one last question I had along those lines was uh, the communities, that you know there is a, a large community built around Angular and Angular development and, and same with React. And I've always, always gotten like a slightly different like feel for the different communities when I go to meetups, when I kind of interact with the people that you know work on it. What, what are your guys' opinions on um, kind of differences within the communities? I feel that the people in the React community are with a little bit uh, stronger background in the functional programming. That's just uh, how I feel. Yeah, I think I have a similar similar uh, viewpoint, mostly because because I've, I've approached React myself from from that side of my my projects, which is, which is closure script part. So so it's it, it really comes out of that really. And, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm much more involved with the Angular community in general than the React community, so so I, I don't have an even even like view of both of them. So I guess I could say a little bit about this. Uh, I I submitted a, a React survey similar to the Angular survey, and what what was interesting is that like at the very bottom I asked what was one of the features that you liked about React, and at the very bottom I put hype. And what was really interesting is that 90% of people actually like that feature. Um, <laughs> and it also, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting, because, like, um, uh, during, like, a, this, like, Angular 2 hackathon, I, I met someone who was a, a React enthusiast, and um, he was so far into this, like, React hype that um, it was very much apparent um, compared to, like, other people who are more grounded and understand the benefits of the two and still use Angular because it's more of, like, a framework um, as opposed to just a a particular view or a particular component. Um, but what's interesting is to see like a lot of people in both communities use both of them, um, and it's reflected on both sides uh, from the survey. Yeah, I guess in general, React is, is in a different place on the uh, 
hype curve in general than, than Angular is, which has been around a lot longer. So that shows in all of the kind of discussions on Reddit or, or wherever you go. Yeah, have you, speaking about uh, hype curve, um, have you guys heard about this JS repay challenge? No. Yeah, so someone basically created a, a JS repay challenge and uh, wrote in every framework um, repainting, uh, so that way you can measure like what's the the repainting like performance for each framework. And what's interesting is that if you actually open up uh, the three optimized versions of Angular 2, Angular 1, and React, you'll actually notice the Angular 2 optimized version, aka just track by, is actually faster than React. And if you actually open up Angular 2, you can see that it's also 60 frames per second with Angular 2. So it's it's really interesting to see that the problem here is more of just like the developer code rather than the framework itself, because you can optimize in any framework. It's just that um, people choose to optimize or choose not to optimize, right? Would you would you guys kind of agree with that or? Definitely, yeah. It's it's much more about your code than the framework. And the other point about that is that you can find the benchmark to support whatever opinion you have. This makes me think of Dave Smith's uh, recent post, How to Miss the Point When Comparing Web Framework Performance. Yep. Um, so I'll post a link uh, in the show notes. But yeah, it's, it's very good. And basically, the conclusion is, yes, you can get Angular to be very performant, um, and in many cases, just as performant as uh, React. Uh, but his, his argument is the big difference is, what's the default? Is it easy to, or, or is it natural to make React fast? versus um, whether it's natural to make Angular fast. And his argument is it's more natural to make React fast than Angular. But um, anyway, I think we are uh, we're coming down on our time. Um, so I, I think here, here's a pretty good, uh, pretty good last question. Um, so some people are, have been switching from Angular to React because of you know, problems, whatever, preference. Um, when Angular 2 is officially released, do either of you see people switching from React to Angular 2 as, like, would do you, would you consider that people would switch from React to Angular 2? Yeah, I will do that, yeah. I have, uh, I have some preferences, and uh, my favorite currently is Angular 2. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a lot of people. Also because, yeah, people switch switch teams, and it's not always we don't make our own framework choices always, and we we, we go to different places where different cultures uh, are are, do, are dominant, and, and that, that, that's just how, how it works. So, so I expect to be using both of those and a bunch of other things that probably you can't even name yet, but it's, it's just kind of going to be like that. Gotta love the JavaScript world. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> cool. Okay, so let's uh, wrap things up here. I'm, I'm going to go over to Twitter. We do have one question, um, and it's uh, from Erwin um, Dutton, and he says, suppose you have uh, have to stick to pure ES6 in a project, so no TypeScript, no preprocessor like that. It's just uh, obviously you need Babel in today's world. Um, so what would you choose between Angular uh, to and React, if you had to stick with pure ES6. Not even JSX. 
Oh, dang. Yeah, that was, you didn't think about that one. <laughs> but Babel technically compiles uh, JSX without any flag turned on, so I guess we can assume JSX is, is supported. But, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Maybe answer both questions in both scenarios. I really haven't seen much of the, the Angular 2 examples that are not TypeScript, so, so I can't really speak to how that feels like. So, so I don't know. I guess parameter de decorators are going to be kind of tricky with ECMAScript 6, uh, but still, um, I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't know as well. I mean, both seems like a good choice. So you think that it's pretty much a given that um, when you use Angular 2, you will be using TypeScript for sure? I think with both of those, we'll be using using tools that let us do whatever we want to do in, in the source code level. So, so I, I, I'm not sure I would anytime soon run into this particular limitation in my projects. Cool. OK. Sweet. So um, before we go into tips and picks, uh, I guess I, I should have done this before we went into the questions. Um, but uh, I think it'd be great to open it up to the guests if there's anything else that you wanted to bring up about this subject before we um, start wrapping things up. Um, try Redux. It's cool. I'll take your advice as soon as I find time. Hopefully I find time soon. Yeah, there's actually an Angular 1 Redux um, implementation that also has a time traveling feature in there. Nice. Yeah, I got to look into that. OK, sweet. Well, let's uh, jump into the tips and picks. Uh, we'll let our guests go last. Um, and we'll start with Patrick JS. Uh, can you give us your tips and picks, please? Yeah, so my tip is always be learning. Uh, I may have said this, uh, said this uh, previously in the past, but Always be learning, um, never stop learning, um, uh, because as soon as you stop learning, you'll start your knowledge starts degrading. So like you always have to keep refreshing yourself. Uh, and my t my pick is this OSS computer science repo. Uh, basically, it's an open source, um, I guess, uh, self taught graduate computer science uh, course. Um, basically, just like you know, a whole bunch of like online courses combined together into this. Uh, what you would uh, consider a computer science course. So it's pretty cool, um, especially for someone who wants to like figure out like what they should learn or not learn or what they don't know. Um, oh, that sounds like a, something that I desperately need uh, as somebody <laughs> who didn't graduate in computer science. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, Amy, why don't we go with you next? Sure. So my tip is to check out Tarot's blog post on the component pattern. And uh, my picks. The first one, if you're a visual learner, I saw this uh, tweeted or something, or it came maybe in the uh, JavaScript newsletter, but it's a promise visualizer. So that's really, really cool if you want to play around with that. And then I have another pick. Uh, since everybody's been talking about their family the last couple episodes, today's my husband's birthday. So I'm going to force him to listen to the end of this episode so he can hear me say happy birthday. So that's it for me. Awesome. I hope you don't tell him happy birthday at all. And this is like the only way he can hear. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Cool. Um, Jeff, let's go with you next. 
Sure. So uh, you mentioned it earlier, Kent, but I do want to recommend watching the JavaScript Jabber episode with uh, about Redux. I really enjoyed that and got into a lot of interesting topics. And also, I want to um, uh, point everybody to a talk that I had six months ago at NG Vegas, talking about myth versus reality with Angular. It sort of touches on a lot of subjects that we talked about today. And in particular, uh, I sort of at the end, I talk about how really uh, urging people to not be trolls, which, Kent, you're probably going to laugh when I <laughs> mention this part. But, but no, I, I mean, I, I seriously like uh, thinking pro productively and um, positively about, you know, any situation that it's all JavaScript that we're working in, right, like whatever framework you happen to be using. And anything that you want to do, you could get done. So it's kind of silly. Uh, the sort of um, wrecking on somebody else's you know stuff or, or framework that does go on in different blog posts and that type of thing. So I want to encourage people to be more positive about it, uh, be more like cooperative to help each other because the reality is that your Angular has learned a lot from React, and I think that a lot of stuff coming out of the Angular community has helped React as well. So uh, hopefully we can kind of continue that in the future. And don't be trolls. That was great. That was awesome. Um, next, uh, so is uh, following in the same vein, components, components, components. Uh, make everything a component uh, and make as many dumb components as you can. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, and then I have a couple picks. So first, Code Cartoons, this is by, uh, this is a, um, I don't know what these are called, it's a Medium Organization or something, um, but it's uh, on, on Medium, the blogging platform for, uh, yeah, my friend Lynn Clark uh, created a Code Cartoons org where she's going to be posting a lot of uh, different uh, blog posts that use cartoons to describe different topics. I think the next one she's probably going to work on is uh, explaining Redux. But uh, the last one was a cartoon guide to Flux, and it's fantastic. So if you're wondering what this Flux thing is, um, I recommend you look at that. It's, it explains it very, very well. Um, another pick is Frisbee Golf. Get out and, and throw some Frisbees, or uh, Disc Golf, or Frolf, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's a, yeah, it's fun. And I'll, I'll throw this in there, too. Another pick, um, I wrote a blog post yesterday uh, entitled, Why I Don't Commit Generated Files to Master. And um, so, and, and I also explain how I don't do that. So it, it describes some of the reasons you might want to commit to master uh, these generated files, but uh, then describes some of the challenges you'll, that you'll face with that and um, how you can get around uh, that and have your cake and eat it too. And this is specifically about libraries. Um, projects are maybe a little bit different. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, check that out. Let's go with Minko. What do you have for us? So I have two things. Uh, there is a great talk by Pete Hunt from, I think he works at Instagram. I'm not sure where he is now. Uh, React REST for UI rendering. It's a very interesting talk uh, where he compares the reactive user interface with uh, REST, with distributed systems, actually. And the second pick is, 
It is an issue in the Angular 2 GitHub repo, which aims to develop Angular improvement process, which seems a pretty cool idea. Uh, basically, I, I guess uh, it is going to allow us to propose different features we want to test in Angular, and if they make sense, maybe they're going to be discussed and eventually implemented. Cool. Thank you. Taro. Okay, so my pick is, is the book Refactoring by, by Martin Fowler, which is kind of one of these software engineering classics, which I hadn't read in, in many years, but, but now that I'm working on this component refactoring, I revisited that. And it's actually really useful. Uh, the, the actual concrete refactorings in there are not directly applicable to JavaScript or Angular code, but the principles are, which are tiny changes, controlled changes, and unit testing, and, and all of those things are very much relevant when doing this kind of refactoring in Angular. And uh, my tip is also related to this, which is um, bind to controller uh, in Angular 1.4. Uh, you can actually use it to, to bind, to make bindings on your controller without having an isolate scope. So you can have scope true, bind to controller, then an object of bindings. And that's really useful while you're doing this refactoring, because you can start introducing these bindings one by one without breaking your code, without isolating everything inside the component just yet. You can, you can take this step by step, and that's very nice. So you can just do one and see that everything works, and everything else is still coming up from the parent scope. And, and uh, that just gives another one of those really good in intermediate steps in this refactoring. That's a great tip. I hadn't actually thought about using that um, as part of the refactoring process. Awesome. OK, uh, let me double check the ng-air-question hashtag. Looks like we have nothing. So um, I think we're going to wrap up our show. Remember, next week, uh, we don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be awesome, I promise. Um, and so tune in, same time, same place. Um, and yeah, I think that's uh, remember to follow us on Twitter and Google Plus at AngularAir. And hopefully, this show will be up uh, by the end of the day. Um, maybe I should make that commitment to everybody so that I actually make that happen. Um, but yeah, I just will wrap up this show saying uh, thank you, Miko and Tero, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. See you all next week. Cheers. Bye.